Thanks, Saulo, for leading us. And just to add to my welcome, it's great to have you here. And let's read Psalm 32 together. Of David, a mascal. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And this is the word of the Lord. So in verses 1 to 5, and think about um, what it means to confess to, to be blessed. And um, I have to admit that I recently uh, had the lovely experience of reversing into my neighbor's car. So it was uh, raining, it was dark. Um, I think we were a bit late for something, a few kids in the car, and I, re I reversed out and bashed, bang into the neighbor's car. And the kid said, Dad, Dad, you've hit a car. I said, yeah, yeah, I think I have. So I wasn't laughing at the time. So I, I, I pulled away and um, I thought, oh, it's Dan's car. That's not too bad. At least it's Dan's car. And I couldn't see anything on the car, right? It looked like it was fine. That's what bumpers are for. Um, but I kind of felt a little bit guilty about the fact that I'd reversed into Dan's car, even though I couldn't see anything. And eventually I could detect this very small little pimple almost in, in his wing. And I thought, oh, I, ha I, need to, I need to come clean. I need to tell Dan what, what's happened. But um, he was busy and I didn't get to him. And then he, he didn't come in to me, even though I'd asked, can, can you send Dan in? I, I want to talk to Dan. And then about a week later, Esther bumped into him and said, oh, we have our, not, not, oh, not with the car. Um, <laughs> thankfully, not with the car. She, um, you know, saw him. And Esther told him what had happened, said, oh, Dan, we need to confess our, our sin. Kieran reversed into your car. He wanted to let you know. And Dan just said, oh, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. And I had felt this huge sense of uh, relief. Number one, that um, I didn't, you know, properly bash his entire wing mirror in. Secondly, that I wouldn't have to pay 
a crazy amount of insurance for something as ridiculous as that. And also the fact that Dan just said, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, don't worry about it. And the sense of relief about having come clean and not, you know, carrying this dark secret to my neighbor who I see all the time. And, you know, you have that expression that confession is, is good for the soul. And usually it's with something relatively trivial, like, like my example with our thankfully very understanding neighbors. But were I to say, on the other hand, I need to get something off my chest, then you would sense that maybe that's a little bit more serious in, in what I would be saying to you. And you would know that those opportunities usually have a little more to them. And beyond that, we might apologize to someone for a hurt we've caused. We, we maybe do that with our normal experience of, of life day to day, even if we find it hard. But to go a step further and say, I need to confess sin to you, or to say that to God, is a whole different kind of category of communication that's, that we maybe are not used to or resist or enough used to hearing from, from others around us. And in our own context here, and probably from, from your own, if you bring up the issue of sin or of confession, it's not really responded to very well. It reminds people of, of a dark time, an oppressive time, a, a controlling time, particularly here in Ireland, with guilt associated with it. And so they're very loaded and ultimately unwelcome kind of, of terms. And so we're left with the question of what Christian, or what uh, rather forgiveness looks like in a post-Christian culture. And if you do believe in these themes of confession and, and of sin and, and the need for them, in our own experience, they could still feel a little bit um, remote or perhaps maybe we feel that we never actually get rid of feelings of, of guilt and it keeps weighing us down, even if we carry those things in secret. Or some of our experiences that we just keep turning back to the same sin over and over again and we feel that we've kind of used up all of our forgiveness tokens and that they don't work anymore and so you feel I can't go and say sorry again. Well, Psalm 32 has much to say to all of that, as indeed do the Psalms as a whole. But in this first, these first five verses, I want you just to notice the tone. And that's why I've entitled it, Confess to be Blessed. Look at the tone in verses 1 to 2. Blessed is he or she whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. It's such an unexpected tone because it's a really upbeat, happy tone. Blessed is repeated twice in, in these two verses. Blessed, happy, joyful is the language associated. So there's already it's very countercultural to us because there's nothing oppressive about how this is put. And it's, it's so complete. Every base is covered, meaning that 
what is being blessed and enjoyed is this total freedom from guilt. And so a happiness, a blessing flows. See, the language used that transgressions are forgiven, sins are covered, and sin the Lord does not count against. And so it's all catered for, transgressions, sin, sin, all, in other words, of our willful uh, personal rejection of God and all of the ways in which we, we miss the mark and every, every deliberate act of refusing God and every facet of offense that's, that's dealt with that, whatever it is we may have done and however we might categorize it, it is forgiven, it is covered, it is not counted or held against us. And so there's this real blessing, this happiness that is expressed because the issues that were in the way causing that sense of being burdened and weighed down are gone. The guilt is removed. There is no sign of them, no, no stain, not even that little pimple in Dan's car to remind me of it. It's gone. And that's a source of great blessing. And so the narrative biblically is so different to how we typically find ourselves responding to these themes. So Christianity doesn't say come and be condemned. It says come and be blessed. Yes, we are in the wrong. We have got sin in our heart. We have got guilt. We do deserve punishment. Yes, we have done wrong and do wrong. But God comes with a life giving buoyant response. He meets us exactly at that point of need and provides forgiveness. He covers our wrong. Our sins are covered. He doesn't add up all of our wrong and demand more misery and more guilt and more shame. He rather gives us this root of blessing, which is fulfilled ultimately, of course, in the person of Jesus, King Jesus. And all of our debt was poured onto him. And so we're not asked or made to work for forgiveness because our sin was counted against Jesus in our behalf. And the cross where Jesus died is therefore the end of our guilt and shame and the beginning and end of our liberty from sin and judgment. And so the weight is taken off and therefore blessing flows in. I think popularly the thinking in, in the circles we move in is that blessing comes through denying that there is such a thing as, as sin. But the Bible tells us that blessing comes by dealing with it, not by hiding it, by, by owning up to it, by embracing, therefore, the fullness of forgiveness and the blessing and joy that that brings. And in truth, when we deny our sin and we refuse to admit it or we refuse to get to the bottom and raise the things that are going on with us and with others, we suffer. And David moves from this general summary to his own personal experience when he says, when I kept silent, verse 3, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. By silent, he means here when he wouldn't admit what he had done. And so in this act of discipline 
And to draw David back, the Lord afflicted him in some way, physically, till he admits that he did wrong. David says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I'm not sure exactly what that looked like, but he says in verse 4, for day and night, your hand, God's hand, was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. He was wasting away. Now, a few caveats here are very important. Not all physical suffering is the result of unrepentant sin. Nor does all unrepentant sin lead necessarily directly to to physical or psychological suffering in some way. Nor does all repentance lead to immediate physical and psychological healing either. However, there are times, specific times in the scripture, when the Lord in his love towards the person who will not come to him and speak up, in his love he pressures that person in order to expose that unrepentant sin. That's what David is describing in this particular experience of his, with a loving purpose, not of being punitive, but to deepen relationship by drawing the person out to come to the Lord and to speak up about what is happening. And this is a prime example. David had been very deliberately trying to cover up his wrong. But the Lord, of course, knew the truth of his guilt, and in his goodness, he would not let David walk away from it. Now, when we experience examples where we're maybe not sure, well, what's going on in my life? How do I make sense of this? It can be very difficult to untangle some of those things. And so that's when being in community together is so vital, so that we can sit down one with another, talk these things through, work it out together, read the scriptures together, pray together. And if you're wondering where you might be in this regard, please come and talk to us if we can help you with that. Now, we might not be sure exactly what the cause and effect was like for David, but what is certain is that repentance always, always leads to complete forgiveness. There is no ambiguity about that in the psalm. See verse 5, Then I acknowledged my sin to you, And did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's no ambiguity about that. He moved towards God as the Lord's hand was heavy upon him. It brought him to repentance. He acknowledges, he confesses, and you forgave. No doubts, no ambiguity. You forgave the guilt of my sin. There's a documentary coming up soon um, by an award-winning director called Kevin MacDonald. And it's called High and, and Low. And it's about the dramatic rise and fall of the hugely iconic fashion designer, John Galliano, who was absolutely massive um, in the 90s. And he worked with Dior and a lot of these um, big fashion houses. And during the supermodel era, he, he was a cult hero. But he 
he got a bit nasty when, when he drank, and he drank a lot after the shows, and he was, during the time when phones were first starting to be used, and people could be recorded and going out on the internet, and he was one of the first to be publicly shamed and go viral and be cancelled for, for what he said. So he's considered to be one of the first victims, if you like, of celebrity cancel culture. He said some really nasty anti-Semitic things and he was kind of ruined and now is many years later trying to re-establish something of, of his life. And so the, I heard about this, I was listening to the radio and, and the, the director was raising some really fascinating themes in the conversation. And the key thing that he kept repeating, which really grabbed my attention, was he kept asking the question that this documentary is asking, what does forgiveness look like? What does forgiveness look like in a post-Christian culture? Now, he wasn't answering that. He was raising the question, and he was asking it about a figure that's so complex and leaving that in the air. And so I, I'm really looking forward to seeing this documentary and finding out how, how is that resolved, or is it resolved? And I think as we look at how these things unfold in, online and in the culture we're in at the moment, there doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of room for forgiveness. I think that we are, have a very punitive and unforgiving kind of culture. If you step out of line, you get cancelled. And you just have to live with that guilt. That's it. There's no way back for you. But what happens when we're the ones in the wrong? What then? We might not have gone viral for an anti-Semitic comment, but we wrong people. And we wrong God, so... What do we do in that when we're swimming that culture, that punitive culture? Or maybe you've been on the other side of people who just will not let your past go. What happens? Well, David said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And look how immediate the text is. You forgave. You forgave the guilt of my sin. And that's ultimately what matters. God is the one we will answer to ultimately, not those around us who maybe withdraw or withhold or are punitive towards us, but the Lord himself. And he forgives. That tells you what Christianity is all about. Confessing your sin and enjoying the blessing of complete forgiveness. You see how he uses the word covered in this psalm. It's interesting. Verse 1, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And in verse 5, David gets this and he says, Then I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. So we're either having our sin covered in forgiveness and acknowledgement, or we are seeking to cover it up ourselves and we'll suffer for it. 
And we can cover up our sin with all sorts of things, with escapism, with denial, with saying, well, we work so hard, so we deserve this outlet, whatever it may be, or it's not that bad, or etc. But we need to come to that point of acknowledgement if we are to experience the blessing and joy of forgiveness. And, you know, it's not a complicated thing with the Lord. It's saying, I have wronged you, God. I have done this thing. I am a sinner. I admit it. I keep doing whatever. I know I'm not going to try to hide this from, from you. I'm not going to try to, to justify it or, or to brush it under the carpet. I'm going to tell you it like it is. And so we take it on our lips and we say it and we give expression to that acknowledgement by confession, by ending our silence like David did and speaking the truth of the mess that we're in we turn from our sin and we face the Lord and say, look, this is where I'm at. There's no point hiding this anymore. There's no point trying to cover it up. There's no point brushing under the carpet or pretending it's something it's not. This is, this is what it is. This is where I'm at. I'm telling you. And God, of course, already knows, but he's inviting us to do so that we may experience the blessing of complete forgiveness. And the blessing of forgiveness, sin covered and no longer counted against us is immediate. It's not brought back to haunt you. There's no cancel culture with God, thankfully. He doesn't replay our worst moments or drag them up in every interview he has with us forevermore. So much so we don't even hear the content of what David confessed in this psalm. We're just told that he said, I'll confess my transgressions. But we're not even given the detail of what that was. And it emphasizes the absolute eagerness of the Lord to forgive. The immediacy of it, the desire of the Lord to hear and forgive and to remove that guilt. And David enjoyed that blessing. And while we don't, I think, like to talk of sin or of guilt, I think we also, ironically, find forgiveness hard to stomach. Something in us doesn't like it. It just seems too easy. There's a desire in us to, to make things right, to see things paid for, for justice. It doesn't sit well if there's a perception that something has been made light of, as we might perceive it. And so we are invited in this culture of God's purposes to the cross to understand that it's never given lightly. That complete forgiveness was secured by and through the cross of Christ, which was never making light of sin. It was never swept under the carpet. Jesus was punished for our transgressions. He bore our guilt. Our sin was counted against him. And there we see the complete end of it, a complete forgiveness, where Jesus willingly goes and the Father forgives willingly and completely. And as Jesus is uncovered in nakedness on the cross, our sin is covered and we have complete forgiveness. And so the conclusion that David comes to in the second half of the psalm is to come to God eagerly. Come to God eagerly. Verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise... You will not, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect 
me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Come to God eagerly. Therefore, in light of these things, David says, go to God. Pray. Pray to God while he may be found. I came across a beautiful definition of prayer this week, which said, a good definition of prayer is that it is straight talk with the real God about what's really going on and what really matters. A good definition of prayer is that it is straight talk with the real God about what's really going on and what really matters. And in the second half of this psalm, that's what David is is doing. He's been doing it through the whole psalm. He leaves his sin behind. He doesn't wallow in it or dwell on it. He moves forward and approaches the Lord. And he encourages the rest of us to do the same, to pray to you, everyone. Come to the Lord in prayer. Speak, knowing that you will be heard and helped, not swamped by the mighty waters of whatever difficulty may have engulfed you. And he delights in the protection and deliverance that God gives him. God is his hiding place. He's not hiding from God. God is his hiding place. He protects God. He is protected by God from trouble. He's surrounded with songs of deliverance. He embraces forgiveness and moves forward in an unburdened and liberated kind of way. And that is what God offers us. But in truth, in practice, we tend to hang on to, to guilt, to punish ourselves and to lose sight of these truths, to beat ourselves up. Instead, we are invited to come eagerly to God. He hides us from guilt and shame in Jesus. He protects us from the harm of evil. He surrounds us with shouts of deliverance. David doesn't let past sin burden him or chew him up. He moves forward. He takes God at his word. He grabs hold of the Lord's work on his behalf and he moves on. He doesn't pretend to be sin-free but he doesn't keep a hold of the very things that the Lord has set loose. Maybe you hear something like this and you read a psalm like this and you think, yes, but. Yes, but. There is a but. It just can't be true for for what you've done and you've tried this, but even if God forgives you, you can never forgive yourself. Psalm says, come eagerly to God. Take his word to heart. Understand these words. You are not being surrounded by the white noise of accusation and guilt again. That was silenced and nailed to the cross. And we bear it no more. And we are therefore protected and surrounded with these songs of deliverance. Not the voices of accusation. You might be watching arrows fly all around you. You might well be in danger, and we do and will suffer. But the Lord is always our hiding place. Because once we know his forgiveness, we are hidden from his wrath, and nothing can truly harm us again. We are forgiven. We are free. When we do that, we still, of course, have complex lives and will need guidance. And God leads the way. Verse 8 I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. I will keep my loving eye on you. I will. You are my forgiven, beloved child, and I will guide the complexity of your life life, into these truths. 
He leads by his spirit through his word, through the companionship of one another as we journey together. And so come eagerly to God. When I was a child, I grew up um, in the Catholic Church, and I remember we used to say we have to go to confession, which was when my grandmother would say, it's about time you, you went to confession, and confession is on these days, and you, you had to go to confession. And so um, I would go, and you'd sit in the confession box, and um, I would never tell the priest what was really going on. I would say, well, I, I told a few lies. I said a few bad words. I was mean to my grandmother. I, was, I didn't do what my mom said. And um, I wouldn't tell him that I got caught stealing sweets in the shop, which was true. Because I thought, if I tell him that, I'm going to be in here forever with the penance he's going to give me when I come out. And I'd rather keep that secret between me and um, Dimpna, who caught me, and thankfully didn't tell anybody in the house. But it's a sense of, okay, I have to go and do this thing that I don't really want to do. And I'm not really telling this guy what's really going on. And I'll go out and then I'll do this penance thing. And then we'll compare notes and say, well, how many... What did he give you for penance and what did I get? And you would, if people were sitting there a long time, you'd be thinking, oh, ho, ho, they must be the really bad guys then. I'm up, I, I got down, sat down after them and I left before them. What did they do? So it was a very weird context I remember as a child. And it was always out of a sense of obligation. You had to go. Or you're only sorry because you get caught out speeding. You weren't sorry before you were, saw the blue lights or the speeding van. And David, the Lord speaking rather in verse 9 says, Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't have to be dragged along reluctantly to come to God, to seek forgiveness, to be open, to say where you're at. We all have a stubborn reluctance and pride in us. We all tend to resist the good God has for us. You know, must the Lord drag us along when he is offering complete forgiveness and understanding? Come to the Lord openly, willingly, with your guard down. Eagerly embrace the truths we find in verse 10. Many are the foes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. And there is no penance. You don't have to go for dishonesty because, well, if I tell the Lord what's really going on, he'll never, he'll never let me off. He didn't let your sins off. He dealt with them in Christ, and therefore you have every confidence to tell him what is happening. His unfading love surrounds you. The cross of Christ confronts you with his love. He is for you and he is worthy of your trust. And so verse 11, look at the tone again. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. That's the real outcome 
of approaching our God in confession and faith. Blessing, happiness, gladness, songs of joy. So, confess to be blessed and come eagerly to God. And may we as a community come to one another to help embrace these truths into the complexity of our everyday. So let's pray. Our Father, thank you for the blessing there is in confession. We do confess that we often hide away our guilt, our shame, our wrong, where we pretend that it's not there, or we cower away and won't come to you with it. But we pray, Lord, for the liberty of your word to release our tongue and our hearts to speak to you, to confess, and to enjoy the blessing that comes from that. Thank you that we've nothing to hide from you that you don't already know. And we pray, Lord, that we'd come eagerly to you, knowing that forgiveness is there for us completely, fully, repeatedly, and perfectly in Christ. And so may we embrace those truths, come to you eagerly, and thank you for what you've given us in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.